So great to have you in church today. You could be anywhere and you're here with us. So that's amazing. Love worshiping with you. Those of you joining us online, we're so glad to have you worshiping with us too. As Pastor Adrian said a minute ago, all of our students and their leaders are away at YG Youth Gathering this weekend in Kelowna. Over 400 high school and junior high kids worshiping Jesus together. Isn't that amazing? Yes. That's partly the reason why our band is stripped down. How many know we're grateful for our youth leaders who double as uh, band members? And uh, it's awesome uh, to have them on that trip today. Bless Pastor Riley and his team. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 27. You could turn there. John 14, 27. It says, I am leaving you with a gift. I think it's verse 7. I don't think it's 27. I think it's verse 7. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. When was the last time you had to stop and ask someone for directions? All right. We, we don't often as much anymore because we become reliant on our phones, right? We have our phones telling us where to go, and, uh, and you have that little voice telling you how to navigate to your destination. But uh, how many remember the days before GPS, uh, before your phone? How many know how to read a map? Anyone know how to read a map? You know how to plot your course on the map, right? We, we've, we, we become reliant on technology. How many know even Siri can take you on the scenic route sometimes? I've discovered that. But uh, when you're asking for directions, who you ask makes a lot of difference in the response you get, right? Uh, I saw this meme recently, and it just simply says, sometimes I wonder what happens to all the people who ask me for directions. (laughs) How many of you say, I'm pretty good at giving directions? Uh, How many would say, don't ask me? (laughs) I wonder what happened to all the people who asked me. For directions. You know, ideally, you're hoping for something straightforward, right? Like, ideally, you want the person who's going to say, you know what, you go out of here and take a left, and then at the second stoplight, you turn right, and then you make another left, and then you go through the intersection, and you're there, right? So in your mind, you're like, okay, left, right, intersection, left, I'm there, right? You're, you're trying to, but, but how many know sometimes you get the overcomplicator, Anyone know the overcomplicator? It's okay, you're going to turn left out of here, and then you're going to go eight kilometers. And you're like, whoa, you've already lost me, right? How am I supposed to gauge eight kilometers? You're going to go eight kilometers, and then you're going to get to the store that sells, you know, fish and, uh, and, and, and bait worms. You're going to go there, and you're going to turn right, and then you're going to go another three kilometers, and then you're going to see the, the restaurant. It was the old restaurant, but now it's a new restaurant. But you don't want to turn there. You want to keep going past the house with the chicken coop, and you're just like, right? Your eyes are glazed over. You're like, okay, never mind. You, I mean, you know, as soon, like, it's like in the first instant, you already know that you tuned out and you forgot everything, right? You get back in the car and your wife's like, oh, so do you know where to go? You're like, I have no idea, right? You know what I'm talking about? Who you ask depends on the directions that you get. Well, life as we all experience it comes with many twists and turns, doesn't it? Uh, And and how many find ourselves uh, facing the detours and the roadblocks of life. You know, it's like weeks and months can go by and everything is smooth sailing. And then all of a sudden, these unexpected, uh, unexpected obstacles and unforeseen uh, difficulties present themselves. How many know that the paths we take and the plans we make don't always end up with us at the destination that we hope for? <laughs> That's right. Someone's experienced that. 
My in-laws had a stranger knock at their door a number of, uh, uh, a while, quite a while ago, and uh, this lady was looking for Rick, and she knocked on the door and said, is Rick here? And my in-laws said, well, no, Rick's not here. Rick, there's no Rick here. And the lady was out of it. What do you mean he's not here? He, he told me he would be here. And they're like, no, I'm, like, I'm sorry, there's, there's no Rick here. Well, he should be here. He lives here, she said. Well, my parents, uh, in-laws, they were like, well, we can assure you that there's no Rick living here that we know of, and we hope he's not here, because that would be really weird, right? And so the lady, she said, well, isn't this? And she gave the, the number, and she gave the street, and then they realized that she was in the wrong town. <laughs> can you believe it? Sometimes the paths we take and the plans we make don't end up with us at the destination that we hope for. For a lot of people, we uh, think that the road to peace of heart and peace of mind is uh, found through plotting a course and sticking to a course, uh, a, a carefully charted course for our lives. We, we think the course will take us through success. We think the path to peace is going to take us through uh, the accumulation of, of wealth and security for the future. Uh, you know, we want to make fond memories. And so we plot this course through life and, and we want to accumulate and have all these, these perfect stops along the way. Uh, and we want to avoid, you know, pain and difficulty. We want to dodge disaster as much as we can. And for many people, that's the path to peace. But most of us realize pretty quickly that such an accommodating route is, uh, is more wishful thinking than reality, right? right? It's like we quickly realize that there are obstacles and, and barriers to that path. And, and even those who would say, I've plotted a course for my life, and even those who would say, I've eventually reached the destination I had in mind, many, many times we hear from them that it's not what we thought it would be. I was reading recently about uh, Andre Agassi, one of the world's greatest tennis players, and, and so many accolades and so many championships. And, and in his biography, he talks about an interview he had with a reporter that was saying to him after his first uh, Grand Slam win, like, this is it, you've arrived, you've reached the pinnacle, and, and this win will define you as one of the greatest tennis legends of all time. And in the interview, he says, yes, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, I'm thrilled to have reached my goal, but Andre Agassi, Legacy in his um, memoir uh, says that behind the scenes and inwardly, even though he was giving a response to the reporter, inwardly it was nothing could have been closer to the truth. Uh, inwardly, the day after this great Grand Slam tennis win, he simply said, I felt nothing. He said, I'd felt the sting of defeat. I felt the agony of not living up to my goal. But once I reached the goal and the pinnacle of all that I had lived for, he said, I simply found myself empty. Isn't that something? Jesus says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. The peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Here's what Jesus taught us about peace. And this is what he wanted our disciples, uh, the disciples to grasp. And we, we've said this a few times over the last couple of weeks. And it's that peace is not found in the external security of everything going according to plan. Peace is found in the inward serenity of knowing the great I and so today we're in the last of our seven-week sermon series called I Am, and we've been looking at these I Am statements that Jesus made in the book of John to help us understand and better know who he is. Uh, we, in the first week, if you remember, we talked about Jesus' Jewish audience. They would have known that I Am was a reference to God. 
in the book of Exodus when Moses says to God, who will I tell Pharaoh and the people of Israel sent me? In Exodus 3.14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. This is my eternal name, my name to be remembered for all generations. And so Jesus presents himself to the disciples and to the people. And in doing so, he left no wiggle room about who he was claiming to be. He left no wiggle room in interpreting who Jesus was. He didn't say, I'm another, I'm an add-on, I'm an additional God. He's not saying I'm a wannabe or an imposter or a fake. He's saying, I am the I am. In this culture, blasphemy is punishable by death at this time uh, in their religious circles. And so they wanted to be crystal clear on who Jesus was claiming to be. And so the religious leaders said, are you really claiming to be God? In Mark 14, 61, Jesus responds to them. He said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus wants it to be known that he's not a philosopher, he's not a moralizer, he's not a theologian, he's not a motivational speaker, he's not a religious founder, he's not a, a historical figure, he's not a myth. Jesus is saying, I am God, the great I am. And alongside of this claim, he uses metaphors to help us understand the greatness and the fullness of who God is. And so the, we've been talking about this idea because we live in a culture where we're in an identity crisis. We've been trying to understand ourselves without God, without understanding our creator. And so what we've been saying is that the more that we know and understand who Jesus is, the clearer we know who we are. And so it's key to our lives. And so, so far we've seen Jesus identify himself as the bread of life who fulfills and satisfies. We've seen him talk about being the light of the world who lights the path uh, and gives us perspective. We talked about him being the gate, the one who protects us and shields us. We talked about him being the shepherd uh, who nurtures us and cares for us. We talked about him being the vine, the source uh, of life and growth. And then last weekend, wasn't it great to celebrate Easter together? We talked about Jesus, the resurrection, and the life. None of these alone can adequately describe uh, solely who God is, but we combine them to get this incredible visual picture, this mosaic of who our God is, the God who loves us and cares for us and wants us to grow. So coming back to this passage we, we read just a moment ago, we find Jesus promising his followers peace of heart and peace of mind. What we soon see, though, is that the peace is promised in what the disciples don't yet understand is going to be one of the most tumultuous seasons of their lives. They don't yet know that this is going to be one of the most difficult seasons that they're going to go through. And, and this is going to be a season when all of their plans and their expectations are going to go out the window. I don't know what it means when you say something goes to pot. I don't know what that means, but their plans are going to pot, whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> What we find out about our text today is that some of Jesus' disciples have been following him. They've been learning his teaching and witnessing his miracles and spending time with him daily. Uh, but many of them have been like us, getting the directions. They've been following Jesus and they've been nodding along and smiling. But inwardly, their eyes are glazed over and they're like, 
I don't know what you're talking about. We see that today. If you have your Bibles open, turn to the beginning of John 14. Some context, if we can have that for a moment. We're still hanging around. Is it all right if we hang around the Easter story just one week longer? Is that okay? We're going to hang around here just a, moment, a week longer. Next week, we're going to start something new in Ephesians. We're going to be talking about being made new and uh, studying through Ephesians. But, but in this story, Jesus is celebrating the annual feast of Passover. He's there with his disciples in the upper room. It's the, the visual is the Last Supper as we've come to know it. And uh, these are like the last 48 hours before Jesus' crucifixion. And it's customary in celebrating the Passover that the Jews, the Israelites, would be thinking about what God did in Egypt when he passed over them uh, and he brought them deliverance out of the bondage of Egypt. So there's this portion of the celebration that's about remembering what God has done. And then there's this portion of, of thinking to the future. Now they find themselves under Roman occupation and so they're dreaming about what the future might hold. And so they're celebrating in this moment, reflecting on what God's done and, and thinking about the future. But the conversation about the future uh, has not been very cheery. Uh, in fact, it's actually been a little troubling. By this time, Jesus already told his disciples that one of, the, uh, one of their friends who's sharing the chips and dip with them is going to betray him. Uh, he's going to be a traitor. And that had led to this really awkward conversation, this really awkward exchange. Have you ever been like on, this, on the outside of an awkward exchange, right? You ever heard like a conversation happening? You're just like a, a bystander. And, and so, you know, Peter's, he, he gets into it with Jesus. Oh, Jesus, he said, you know what? He's like, I, I will never, nothing ever is gonna stop me from standing up for you. And in fact, Jesus, I would even die for you. To, to that point, Jesus looks at him and goes, die for me, like in a few days you're going to deny even knowing me, right? Can you imagine how awkward this is? Everyone else is like, ooh, you know, oh snap, you know, that got really awkward. And to top it all off, Jesus, the one for whom the disciples had left everything, they had left their, their livelihoods, their business, they left their plans, uh, they left school, whatever they were doing, they left it to follow Jesus, uh, and, and they'd abandoned their old lives to be with him, and then Jesus drops this nugget on them in John 13, 33. He says, I'll only be with you a little longer, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will be searching for me, but you can't come where I am going. So one of them is going to betray Jesus, uh, one of them is going to disown Jesus, and to top it all off, Jesus just said that he's going to be leaving them. How many know this is not the plan or the path that they wanted for their lives? Just a few days ago, it seemed that everything had been going perfectly. Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem on the donkey and crowds and throngs of people had been praising him. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And so it had just seemed a few moments, uh, uh, days ago that the moment was primed in their minds. The disciples are like, this is what we've been aiming towards. This is why we've been following Jesus. This is the moment, Jesus, where you're gonna take and launch the next phase of your ministry. We're, we're on our way in and the people are receiving us. And how many know just a few days later, it seems that everything has gone by the wayside. Instead of establishing his authority as the Messiah, the disciples still believed that he was going to be a ruler to overthrow the Romans. Uh, he was going to control Israel and lead the nation, delivering it from tyrannical rule. And so it seemed now that that was all so long ago. Remember all those Easter dinners you had like, last weekend? Doesn't that seem like so long ago already? 
right? For them, they're like, that all seems so long ago. And so it's this setting that Jesus is speaking the words. I want you to get the setting that Jesus says these words. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you I was going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. And so this is the point where like, the disciples kind of tip their hand and we kind of realize that they're kind of like, ah, yeah, okay, Jesus. We kind of, okay, right? They've actually been confused. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas says. Are we always glad for the person that just puts it like plainly? You know, the one who breaks the ice. Jesus, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know where you're going. We have no idea. So how can we know the way? You just picture like Jesus' like quizzical look on his face for a moment. He's like, Thomas, we've been over this. Jesus said to him, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would have known who my Father is. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Well, Thomas isn't alone in this, you know. His buddy Philip chimes in and says, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. Like, I could just see Jesus, like, face-palming right now. Right? If you've ever questioned your ability as a communicator, if, you're, if you've ever been a teacher or a parent or a pastor, and you're just like, am I, how am I not conveying? Like, what am I doing wrong? You know? If you ever had that moment, you're in good company. Verse 9, Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. It's like, Philip, what do you think's been going on here the last three years? You know, every day you've enjoyed and experienced exactly the thing that you are asking for. Everything that I've done, all my words, all my works, all that I am has revealed to you what God looks like, what God sounds like, what God acts like, what God's character is like. Here's what I love about Jesus. You know, in this moment of certain betrayal, in this moment of anticipating suffering, in this moment of facing death, surrounded by his questioning followers, who really in this moment should be comforting him? Jesus comforts them and he turns his attention and his care to them. How many are thankful for the God who comforts you no matter what you're going through? Amen. Jesus turns his care to them and he's not condescending. He's not sarcastic or angry or impatient. He doesn't give up on them. But what he tries to do in this moment is to fortify their faith and give them the gift of peace. How many of you can attest to the gift of peace? When things were going awry in your life, there was something deeper inside your soul that brought peace and grounding and comfort. Peace isn't found in the external security of everything going to plan, but the inward serenity of trusting the I am. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
In verse 1, Jesus says this. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. How many know that every command of God is always followed by a promise of God? And so in this moment, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You say that with me. Don't let your heart be troubled. Turn to the person beside you and say, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in me. This is actively choosing to trust. This isn't just passively waiting for God's peace to come. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. How do we do that? How do we do that when things are going awry? How do we trust God? It's an active choice to say, I'm not going to let my heart be troubled because I am trusting God. Have you ever been like holding a reservation uh, you know, at a restaurant and you're, the other people were late? You know, have you ever been sitting at a table by yourself and the waitress comes and is like, can I get you anything? And you're like, just some water. You know, and like 10 minutes later, she comes back. You're like, is everything okay? You're like, yeah, everything's okay. But in the back of your mind, you're like, am I at the right place? You know, is this the right time? You're like thinking like, what happened to them? You know, what, are they delayed? But because you know who they are, you know that they're gonna show up because you have trust in them. It's the same way in this moment. We have to choose to trust because we know who it is that we're trusting in. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. And then Jesus goes on to talk about this home that he's prepared for us, a, a home that you long for. How many know that it doesn't matter how nice a place you go on vacation, and, and so we go some nice places sometimes, but there's nothing like coming home. There's nothing like being in your own bed and having your own pillow, right? There's nothing like the comforts of home. Heaven is not a state of mind. Heaven is a place, a physical place that God says uh, through Jesus that he has prepared enough room for us. The word room here, if you have an older version a, a, of the Bible, it might say a mansion. We get this idea of mansions in heaven. Who wants a mansion in heaven? Uh, I hate to tell you, mansion in this text doesn't mean an estate. Uh, that's the kind of a word that's evolved uh, over the use. But mansion just really means a many-roomed house. And so there's a many-roomed house where God has prepared. The word here really means abode. It's an abiding place, a place where we live, a place where we dwell. And I love that the, uh, the Greek word here is mone. Everyone say mone. That's, that sounds good. How many know that Jesus has got your mone? Huh? She's got your money? No, I was like, just kidding. Jesus got your mone. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. And God has gone to prepare this place. This isn't a temporary promise, but it's an eternal promise. Something that we can look forward to. We can endure with something. How many have ever had that long Friday afternoon where you're just like, I can't wait for work to be done because I'm looking forward to something tonight. You know, I'm going out for dinner. I've got a hot date. I've got something planned and something to look forward to gets you through what you're going through. Jesus has said, I want to give you something to look forward to to help you to go through what you're going through. And he said, there's a heaven. There's a place that I've gone to prepare for you and we will be together shortly let that give you endurance and perspective. Don't let the unexpected obstacles or the unforeseen circumstances of this life get you down. Let heaven bring hope to your heart. You know the way to this home, I promise you, Jesus says. Notice here that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus doesn't say, I am a way. 
He doesn't say, I am uh, one truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The thing is that Jesus isn't exhibiting arrogance. Jesus is making the only possible deduction from the fact he is the way because he's the only one who has the complete view of God that's unmarred by sin. He is the truth because he's the only one with the perfect power to make life one coherent experience. He's the one who brings perspective to life. He is the life because he's not subject to death himself, but he has made death subject to him. And so he's not speaking from a place of arrogance, but it's the only logical conclusion. Theologian uh, Merrill Tenney, he says, Jesus is the only authorized revelation of God in human form. And he is the only authorized representative of humanity to God. How many know that you can get the authorized version or you can get the knockoff version? How many know if I was a travel agent, you wouldn't want to buy a knockoff travel package from me? right? You'd want the authorized travel package. I've heard of people showing up at events with tickets that they thought were real tickets only to find out that they were scammed. Anyone ever been scammed, right? We don't want to buy scam tickets. We want to have the authorized version. Jesus is the only authorized revelation of God and the only authorized representative of God. Uh, how many want to play a little game this morning? Anyone want to play a game? I noticed it was a little hot yesterday, and so I, uh, I went to Dairy Queen and got some Dairy Queen gift cards, and uh, so I need two volunteers. Uh, I saw Chris, you had your hand up already. Let's have Chris come on up, and you're sitting with Thad, so Thad, come on up, and uh, I wouldn't want you guys to fight over who wins the game, so I'll give you both an equal chance. And so in, come out here, boys, and in this toolbox and in this other box here I have placed a Dairy Queen gift card and I also locked the box with a Dairy, gift, Dairy Queen gift card in it and I also have some keys and so these are your keys Thad and these are your keys Chris and so come on over here and the first person to unlock your box and to get the gift card out wins the gift card okay on your mark you set go who's cheering for Chris let me hear it over here Anyone cheer for Thad? Who thinks Thad should take you to Dairy Queen if he wins? All right. So on there, I have every like, key I could find in the church. I got keys to the janitor closet. I got keys to my house on there, maybe. Have you ever tried to start your car with your house key? Doesn't work. I've tried it before, you know? You're like, what's wrong with these keys? Right? How do we know you have to have the right key to unlock the lock? You can't just choose any key. You, uh, by the looks of it, we might be here all day. I don't know. I tried to get the smartest guys I could find so the illustration wouldn't take very long. Over here, let's hear like, Chris, 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 Chris. Over here, let's hear Thad, 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 Thad. All right. Hey. Oh! Better make sure I'm not lying. Is there a gift card in there? There we go. Awesome. <laughs> How many know you got to have the right key, right? 
Jesus is claiming that there is only one key that leads to life. There's only one key that is the way to the Father. There's only one truth. And, and as there's a lot of other keys that people hold on to, aren't there? There's a lot of keys. Like, if I'm just a good moral person, that'll be, that'll, that's the key. If, if I live in generosity, you know, if I attend church regularly, at least three times a month, that's the key, right? Some people say, well, my parents are religious. You know, that's the key. Jesus said there's only one key. No one can come to the Father except through me. You know, one of the buzzwords of our time is inclusive. Inclusivity. Some of us get really chafed at the idea of anything being exclusive. We want inclusivity. And, and I want you to know today that Jesus is unapologetically exclusive. In Acts 4.12, it says there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is unapologetically exclusive. We see that here in this verse. But here's the thing. Jesus is also unapologetically inclusive. John 3.16 says, Everyone who believes on the Lord shall be saved. I love, it says in Romans 12, everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. The Bible says that God is willing that none should perish. Jesus is unapologetically exclusive, but he's also unapologetically inclusive. You could say he's inclusively exclusive. <laughs> I've met more than a few parents uh, who share the same sentiment as this lady I met at the park recently, and we were talking, and she said to me, you know, I don't really know what faith that I want my daughter to have and to raise her in, and I'm kind of thinking that maybe I'll just let her decide for herself. Common misconception of our culture is that all religious faiths lead to God. People who practice those religions don't think that. But it's kind of this, this sentiment, this blanket statement used by people. And I don't think they really use it to validate all faiths. I think they actually use it to avoid considering the truthfulness of any faith. It would be logical to say that all religions are wrong. It would be logical to say that all religions hold some good moral value and teaching. But there's no sense in saying that they're all true or that they all lead to the same place. Even their basic tenets don't even claim to point to the same place. Religion has been described as four blind men who encounter an elephant. Encountering this elephant for the first time, they are trying to make sense of what it is that they've discovered. And so they begin to grope around and begin seeking, trying to understand and describe this new discovery. And so they begin to climb around the elephant in their blindness. And one grasps the trunk. And in doing so, they say, well, this elephant must be like a snake. The other blind man at the other end of the elephant is grabbing one of the legs and says, no, this elephant is like a tree. The man who has the disfortune of being on the back end grabs a tail and says, no, an elephant is like a rope. And the fourth man, just up against the wall, he's like up against the side of the elephant, he goes, this elephant is, is huge, it's, it's like a wall. How many know each in their blindness is trying to bring perspective and understanding to this thing that they've encountered? They've all come to radically different conclusions, and how many know that they would all be equally wrong about what an elephant is but now picture a fifth man a fifth man who enters the scene one who is able to see 
one who has perspective. And he begins to see that this elephant is not a rope or a tree or a wall or a snake. He begins to uh, look at the elephant in its entirety. We have a God who doesn't claim to see religiously. He doesn't claim to see uh, the path of life from the place of blindness. We have a God who comes and he says, I am the way, the truth, and life. I have come from the Father and I am going back to the Father. And my whole mission, my whole purpose of life was to bring perspective to you of who God is. Jesus shows us the way. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he doesn't just show us the way, but he makes the way for us. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering of sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully, some of you need to underline that in your Bible, confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. You might want to get excited this morning. You might want to get excited that when you trust in the way, when you trust in the truth, when you trust in the life, you don't need to be worried about missing out. You don't need to be worried about getting lost. You don't need to let your heart be troubled when obstacles stand in your way. You don't need to be deflated or discouraged when your plan seems to be going awry. Because peace, Jesus said, isn't found in the external security of everything going according to plan. But that inward serenity of trusting the I am. This morning as we bow our heads just for a moment where we are, maybe you could stand with me. Let's stand and we'll bow our heads. Author and pastor Max Licato he has this quote, and he says, the greatest calamity isn't to feel far from home when you are, but to feel right at home when you aren't. Friends, we were made for something more than this life. That's a sentiment and a feeling that many, many people experience. There's a restlessness. There's a yearning. There's an aching for home because Jesus said we are far from home, and that's okay. It's okay to yearn for what God has secured for us. What would be the problem is when we try to get rid of that yearning by fulfilling with things of this world, with other keys and other sources of peace. This morning, I don't know how you're feeling in this moment, but maybe you're going through some things and you're saying, you know what? Jesus, I need some peace today. I've been going through some stuff. I'm facing some obstacles. Uh, my friend, a few years ago, she was just getting anxiety attacks. She was driving, and the first one hit her. And she just started down this journey of trying to, to come to reconcile what was going on in her life. And, and God spoke to her in one of those moments and said, you know what, Michelle? Peace isn't found in having peaceful circumstances. But you can be at peace in the middle of unpeaceful circumstances. Some of you need to know that today, that God wants to bring peace. Doesn't mean necessarily that he's going to change the circumstance around you, but he's gonna change you, and he's gonna envelop you, he's gonna wrap you in his peace and help you get through what you're going through. 
because there's an eternity that awaits. There's a presence of God that's for today. I love when we come to Jesus like the disciples did, that he wasn't condescending, he wasn't sarcastic or angry or impatient with them. In his time of need, Jesus turns his attentions to them and he fortifies their faith. He gives them this gift of peace. The better we understand who Jesus is, the better we understand who he's called us to be. He's called us to be at peace. At peace with ourselves, at peace with the world, at peace with God, at peace with our future. Let's just pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for who you are, the way, the truth, and the life. Lord Jesus, I pray right now as we prepare just to sing one more song and we're gonna spend a moment in prayer. Uh, Lord, I just pray today, God, that you would help faith, courage, and peace arrive in our hearts. It's not something we can manufacture. God, we can't manufacture this. We can't go and wish peace upon ourselves today. But what we can do is we cannot let our hearts be troubled. And we can actively trust in you as we put our cares and our thoughts on who you are and what you promised for us. Lord, we pray that the byproduct of that would be the peace that comes simply with your presence. Peace isn't actually something you give us. Peace is a byproduct of being in your presence. And so we don't get peace without you, but when we get to you, we get peace. And so I pray today, Lord, that we would know that you're with us, you're for us. Would you speak to us and guide us?